0: Hello, fellow innovators, this is Patrick Emmons,
1: and this is Shelly Nelson,
0: welcome to the innovation and the digital enterprise podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Welcome back to another episode where we explore the most cutting-edge technologies and strategies. Today we have a very special guest who truly exemplifies the spirit of innovation and leadership in the technology sector. Please welcome Arnie Sape. Arnie is a technology leader renowned for his ability to construct formidable teams capable of facing and surmounting company challenges. A mastermind when it comes to understanding the inner workings and driving forces of companies. Arnie possesses an uncanny ability to put together Visionary plans that not only address immediate concerns, but also lay the groundwork for long-term success. What makes Arnie truly stand out is his willingness to dive into projects where the difficult setting is cranked way up to the max, well over 11. Or to borrow a phrase from the world of gaming, he's eager to play on hard mode. His appetite for tackling grand challenges has led him to work with startups that are constantly evolving through his leadership Arnie's technology teams remain adaptive and level headed as they wield technology to navigate through the tumultuous waves of change. But it's not just about the technology for Arnie. One of the cornerstones of his leadership is the cultivation of human talent. He's deeply invested in the personal and professional development of those he leads, ensuring they have ample opportunities to not only leverage their strengths, but also work on areas where they can grow. This approach has cemented him as not just a leader, but also as a mentor and a beacon of inspiration for many on his team. In today's episode, we're gonna dive into the strategies Arnie employs in building resilient tech teams, how he navigates the ever-changing landscape of startups and the importance of leadership that nurtures the growth and development of every team member.
1: Welcome to the show, Arnie. Thanks for having me, guys. Sure. And Arnie, before we get started, I'd like to provide a bit of background on your career. So you have held pivotal roles in some of the most innovative companies. Notably, Arnie served as a Vice President of Technology at Farmer's Fridge, where he played an instrumental role in revolutionizing the fresh food vending industry with his technological expertise. Moreover, as a Director of Engineering at Trunk Club, he was at the forefront of redefining personalized shopping experiences through technology. His leadership and technological proudness have been key in driving these companies to new heights. Now, Arnie, if you could tell us about your experiences at Farmer's Fridge and Trunk Club and how that shaped your approach to innovation and leadership, that would be fantastic.
2: Yeah, you know, there are both unique challenges. At Trunk Club, we had a group of stylists, right? And we had to give them the tools and the AI and things to give them the ability to sell clothing quickly and effectively and get people exactly the right products to them because... Once we sent it out, right? we sent them a lot, but the more they kept, the more we made. So getting that, understanding our customers well and getting the right product in front of them, kept our keep rate up and actually drove our profitability. So it was an interesting mix of being a personal touch, but giving that personal touch enough technology mm. so that we were more effective at it. Ironically, that's also a part of uh, getting people food, right? <laughs> understanding what they like, getting it in front of them, having that observations, understanding your customers. And getting that to them. But then we have a whole different set of challenges when you talk about farmer's fridge and that you have a very short shelf life item mm. that we distribute across the country. You don't want to waste that product, right? You know, first of all, it's horrible for the environment to waste it. Yeah. And two, it kills our profitability, right? So how do you get that food to the right places to sell it without losing any sales opportunities and, you know, give people a great experience, make sure they have a fresh, good food every time they come to us.
0: Having seen both those organizations grow significantly, right? They're two of the the darlings here in Chicago in the, uh, I don't want to call it startup space, but having made it beyond just the startup space, what do you think is some of the early things that set them up for success?
2: You know, there's a, if you, you've got your CEO and you've got your COO, right? If the CEO provides a good, strong vision of what they want that company to be, and gets everybody to march to that. Right. And then you've got your CEO making sure that that concept is going to be profitable and we don't do ridiculous things that are going to blow tons of money. Right. If you've got a good partnership there between those two, you know, like or the CFO in the case of like Farmer's Fridge. And I think that is really a significant thing. So with strong visionary CEOs there that give a strong vision of what they want the company to do and where they want it to go. And then you have the responsible party on the other side to make sure that, you know, like We have guardrails that we aren't like blowing $10 million on some concept, right? So those two partners, I think, are very, very significant to have. And then it makes the rest of the people working that organization able to execute on what they need to do to make those things happen.
0: It's an interesting dichotomy of, uh, you know, when you get into a good mix between, you know, that visionary and, I don't know, the person with their feet firmly planted on the ground of like... What do you think is a key element between those people that that's required? Because I could see a lot of conflict. You're not seeing the future. We're not going to make it there with the way things are going. What do you think is the key ingredient? Like most teams, they think it's respect for each other. You have to be able to
2: debate. You have to have a strong opinion. You have to voice your opinion, but you have to respect each other and know that you both have valid things to add. And then it can become a good partnership where they can, you know, listen to each other and weigh that and say, all right, it's, it is a good opportunity, but maybe not the time, right? Mm. Or, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's going to cost us some money, but if we don't take that opportunity, maybe we'll miss our window, right? So if they can debate it out and they feel that way, and I think all teams should kind of feel like it doesn't matter what level you're at, having that kind of spirited debate and being able to respect each other, come to, you know, decision and then to respect that decision is important. So you kind of have to check your ego a bit, I guess, right? And- both parties have to know they have valid opinions and they need
0: each other i couldn't agree more and i think people sometimes feel like respect has to be given in that environment but the level that they're at the risk that they're dealing with i think there's such a component of like demanding that you are respected more than you expect to be respected of like you have to like have a peer relationship i think that's kind of a critical element for any leadership team or pairing Right to work. I'm curious because I've always thought like, does this model trickle down? Right, like we always see like the founder and like the boots on the ground person. And I think it doesn't matter as long as somebody's a little bit more forward leaning, but then somebody keeps them grounded. Do you have somebody like that on your team?
2: Oh, definitely. You know, I definitely have. There's complementary players, right? You want to, you know, like. I want somebody who's more organized than I am. I'm not a disorganized person, but I'm not the most organized person in the world. So
0: not your unique ability.
2: <laughs> yeah. Having somebody who does that and makes sure that I'm keeping all of this straight and the things that have to happen are happening. Right. Having players that uh, worry more about things than I do who's uh, you know, like uh, I tend to be like, oh, it'll work itself out. It's going to be good. You know, having somebody who actually says, you know, maybe we do need to think about this and he, like makes it take a step back and go, you know what? You're right. I'm moving too fast. We need to, so, you know, I do try to surround myself with people that are not like me, mm-hmm. but, you know, not talking about toxic personalities because those are always bad, right? But people that have different opinions and will challenge the way I do things or assist the way I do things is important. And I think I too try to make sure that I'm not <laughs> I'm not getting a bunch of clones of myself because then we will by default fail because I'm, they're not
0: supporting my weaknesses. <laughs> oh, no. People on my team are like, I need to be more like Pat. And I'm like, no, we got a Pat. <laughs> right. We don't, we don't need any more pets. Trust me. It, it's not that, it's not that important. Right. Like we, and I think that's important what you're saying is I think it even at the chief executive office level, it's really critical that they build out a team that complements them. But I think anybody, even at a senior manager level or manager level, it's like, you've got to build out your team of people who, Yeah, I think there's this mistake. And I think many of us go through it when we're younger. We have this perception that what we're not good at is a weakness, right? Mm -hmm. And then we get into the blame-shame game of like, I wish I was better at that. And it's like, you're not. And like, you should get a little bit better at it, but you'll never be great at it. So find somebody who is, right? Find somebody on your team. And definitely, I mean, it's like anything, right? You know, you can invest
2: time in getting better at the things that you're not good at, and you should, but you should... Also invest plenty of time in improving the things that you are good at because that's where most of your bang for your buck is going to come right
0: that's a good point and your energy right like yeah. you get i mean there's a reason why we pick the things we like because we're good at them and we we're energized by them i see this all the time with the kids where it's like they get into this i'm not good at school thing or i'm not good at this and it's like well do you want to be like no not really but this is what everybody else values and mm-hmm. it's like why don't we find something you get excited about doing, right? And uh, make sure that we're not just doing this for other people's opinions. Mm -hmm. But uh, It's an interesting situation when you look at like becoming a leader, understanding not just your weaknesses and accepting and working on what's important, but also understanding where do you create more value within the organization? So I'm curious, we do this with my organization. We will ask people like, what's the one thing we use this. I have a friend who taught me the one thing rule, like going around any kind of team structure. What's one thing if I started or stopped doing, you would respect me more for, and I'll do this with my own team and ask them to say it to me. So start with myself. But then it's, what's interesting is so often they'll be like, well, what's the one thing about me? Where before, if you try to like tell somebody it wouldn't go so well, but when you start with yourself, they're, they're generally a whole lot more open to it.
2: And we do that, uh, we try to not a full 360, but we'll ask for opinions when we're doing reviews from other Mm -hmm. people. And that's one of the standard questions we have. What's one thing this person should, you know, do more of, and what's one thing this person Mm -hmm. should do less of. And it's interesting over time, those answers, like I worked with a lot of these people for many years, those answers have gotten kind of weak. And I think that's actually because with been able to action on those things over time. Right. No, <laughs> and right. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, it's interesting that, you know, I'm like I'm not getting good strong responses anymore. I'm like, well, maybe because we've been able to work on them over the years. And we're at a point where people are struggling to come up with the,
0: <laughs> those kind of the feedbacks. Could it also, I think part of it is like there's, because you're able to verbalize it and then talk about it, it no longer becomes the thing that they can do, it's like dude, part of it is to understand, like, so why does this person do that? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, because if you get down to like, I wish they would chew with their mouth closed, right. Like, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty low bar there. But yeah, I do. I wonder if like it's really not so much about pointing out the thing, but being open to the dialogue of like, I don't have to sit here in misery and like this pet peeve of like this person uses this phrase that just grinds on you or know, grates on you. Anyway, so. It's interesting. So what other things are you doing to like create, I mean, we're, we've got some pretty, you know, it's, it's not the halcyon days of 2021, 2022, where, so what are you doing to keep your team energized, uh, to keep them excited and motivated and, and all of those great things? it's the same things we've uh,
2: <laughs> got a lot of work to do. We're growing fast. We've got aggressive targets. We're still of a size where you can actually see the work you do helps the company. Right. You can measure it. You can see it. You can understand that I'm doing something that, you know, like if you work at Groupon and you improve uh, endpoint speed, like make it twice as fast. Great. Right. You know, and it is helpful, but does anybody notice, right. You have like, you know, and it does, but it's hard to measure that. Right. We're still at a space where what you do can actually be measured in percentages of company performance and other things. So tying it back to what it means to the company, And, you know, we're also small enough that you can actually see the people that use the tools that, you know, you're using or get see the customer feedback and notice it. Right. And so there's that. So we have a strong tie to what's happening and we have difficult work to do, which means, you know, people feel challenged. We have ability Mm -hmm. to move people around, give them new experiences, stay in touch with where they want to go and give them individual attention that gets harder, I think, as the organization gets larger. But we're still small enough that we can know all of our people know where they want to go, use our one on ones and make sure that they get experiences and challenges. And I like to, you know, like think of like, uh, as a leader of a team, you take on some of your team's personality, but they also take on some of yours, right? right. And if I at the top shoot for visibility, I screwed up, I'm gonna raise my hand and say I made a mistake. And this is what the impact was. And if somebody makes a mistake, I'm like, all right, it's all right. You admitted it. We took care of it. Don't let it happen again, but we're okay. I'd rather, you know, so giving people that space to make mistakes. So even when the pressure is high, they aren't constantly, you know, feeling like if I make one little thing wrong, (laughs) the world's going to collapse. Right. Right. So, you know, I have to make sure that I exemplify those things. Mm -hmm. And then I also provide them the space to make mistakes. So when the pressure is high, they will perform and they will continue to push
0: things out. You know, we talked uh, previously about this transition to leadership and you shared, you know, that you had tried acting at Second Mm -hmm. City. So tell us a little bit more about how, you know, improv and what you did there uh, really improved uh, your leadership capabilities.
2: Yeah, it was was funny how I got into it because – My best friend uh, lived here in Chicago for a while and then he moved. And so I was hanging around the house all the time. So my wife wanted me to get out of the house. And so she said, you know, (laughs) we live close to Second City. And her exact quote was,
0: you lie. Well, maybe you could act. (laughs) Wow. Wow, I will. (laughs) We will want to unpack that over drink sometime, because I want to know what led
2: up to that. Yeah, and I was, I was, I wasn't in trouble. I know it sounds like I'm in trouble, but I
0: wasn't in trouble. Definitely does. It definitely does. It uh, doesn't sound like, hey, we should go have brunch. And by the way, you lie well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But so I went,
2: you know, and I started taking classes at Second City, and I really thought I would just go, and you know, take some classes, and I never do anything with it. But I actually enjoyed it a lot. So I ended up, I was in 27 plays or so over time. You know, I did some improv, did some plays. And it was interesting because the culture, A, the people that I was in plays with were generally much younger than I was. And the culture of plays is different than the work environment. In one way, it's a lot looser, right? You know, because you can say and do things that would be unacceptable at work. And the other way, it's a lot more restrictive, right? So
0: Restrictive, and explain that
2: restrictive in um you know and gear by age you know like so teasing each other and doing something was a way we made friends when we were in high school you know like oh, yeah. joking with people and things like that that is something that most of the people i acted with were not comfortable with mm. and i learned how to moderate my behavior right and i'm like oh, you know it's they stay true to me but i'm like okay i can't tease them because they they don't <laughs>
0: A little bit more sensitive.
2: (laughs) Yeah. They don't really, you know, they don't find it funny like my friends do. Right. You know, so a little
0: bit more in touch with their emotions than engineering majors. Yeah. And, uh, well, engineering majors have their own, you know, but we won't go. We won't go there. Uh,
2: (laughs) We'll keep, we'll keep it on the positive. But, um, so there was that it was also auditioning. I got to see what it was like Mm. being on both sides of auditioning. Right. Which is kind of an interview, but you could see people who killed the audition when you're auditioning them but they didn't fit for the role. Right. Okay. And, you know, it was interesting to me because two ways, right. It made me more comfortable with, I really like this person, but I'm not going to force them into a spot that doesn't work. Yeah. Right. So when I'm interviewing them, don't force them in a spot that doesn't work just because I think they're a great resource. And two, don't always take it personally yourself if you didn't get the role, because sometimes there was no way for you to ever get that role. You couldn't win. Wow. There's some great humility right there. Yeah. You know, so it taught me a lot. You were able to compress a lot of these experiences into much smaller intervals than you would be in a career, right? And when you're interviewing and other things, right? Because you can do five auditions a week pretty easily. And so I probably became more empathetic in general taught me how to understand my team and their needs better and how to work with them and be a little more sensitive, which probably would have taken me a lot, a lot more years in the corporate environment. Awesome.
0: Well, I think to your point is like being The excitement and and novelty of being a novice, right? Of like, this is a new thing. I think it gives perspective when you're leading others that, you know, we've been doing this a while, right? So we've got decades of experience of like building digital products, right? And now you've got people with three to five years of experience. And I think it's it's good to have the humility of like, oh, uh, I'm not good at this and I need help. Right, and it, it it resets the brain of like as opposed to like why aren't you getting this because like two days before you were in a show where it's like I have no idea, what I'm doing, right? I don't know what I'm doing, and somebody's telling me do this, like but I can't. And you get to see a lot of management styles. I wasn't even
2: thinking about that as an actor, right? But you have a lot of different directors, right? And you can actually see how people direct, right? Mm. And, you know, like, what is useful feedback? What is not useful feedback? Say, you know, like, I need you to speed that up. It has to be faster. And you're like, I, I don't understand how I'm supposed do you just want me to talk faster? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what what, do you want from me? Right. You know, or somebody is like, I think your character should be maybe more manic. Right. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you're anxious about this situation and you're like, oh, okay. okay. And that actually So is, what do you, how do I do that? probably what the first person was talking about when they said, I you should speed this up, right? But when they talk about being manic or anxious, it gives you a trait that you can work on, right? Mm-hmm. So that is something you can also bring when you're talking to your, you know, engineers of, uh, you know, saying, I need you to do more of this, right? Says, I need you to make fewer mistakes. Doesn't really
1: help.
2: How do I translate this into a way that is actually something they can action on yeah
0: yeah it's a great point simplification is like and clarity of like hey how do i make this simple for somebody to understand like manic is a complex thought and like Mm -hmm. if you've got the palette of emotions already kind of set that like oh i can deploy that right right uh but if it's not like so simplify this down what are you looking for and I coach lacrosse as, uh, you know, I'm sure I've brought up a million times on this podcast. And I think that's a great place if you really want to like coaching kids is a great leadership practice uh, because one, you know, a lot of times we we get into the judging people, adults as if like, well, why don't you know this? And with kids, uh, there's no expectation that they know it, (laughs) you know, but the, the truth is kids are as motivated by the same thing as adults praise and things like that work on every human being. So it's, I think those, you know, when you coach and you you get into some of these other arenas, like leadership is a, it's, it is a skill and it requires a lot of work. And I I think one of the big mistakes for a lot of organizations that, you know, they put people in management or positions and not even leadership, positions, but even like tactical management positions with little to no training. And I think, especially on the engineering side, it's a real problem and one of the biggest barriers to high performing teams. I
2: completely agree. I went through some management training at the company. I didn't particularly like the company, but I have to give them good credit for they, they sent us the manager training and what I learned there, you know, I I can't even express what it was It's many, a lot of years, but it served me very well, right? I knew how to use the tools of management, one-on-ones, how to explain things, how to evaluate people. They gave us all this guides and it made me much more effective at my job. Because just throwing somebody into being a manager and, you know, expecting them to make that transition between you're no longer valuing yourself by what you output, you're valuing yourself by what the team outputs, mm-hmm. but also you have to divorce yourself from that team a bit. If the team makes a mistake, you can't give them credit for everything and right. take the blame for all the mistakes, right? right? You have to do that to some degree, but you also have to give yourself some separation and forgive yourself. And I've seen people beat up their team because they take it personally and like giving people training and giving them a set of understanding of how to do this is very important and there's a big difference between an effective manager and an ineffective manager and it's it's not that big of a gap right they just have to learn how they just give them some tools to do
0: it yeah the right sizing the feedback because there's the absence of feedback is just as bad as the cudgel Right, right of like the and I think that's a, I think the 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 big problem I see is the absence of feedback is way more pernicious because people just go well he's a nice person yeah. right or she's a nice person but the the truth of the matter is uh, the outputs the same the team's not improving right
2: if you're giving like feedback to your team and they get excited about the things they can work on mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh you know like fine I do things great. Get to the things I can work on. You know you're being effective. You know they understand this is for how they get better, right? And if you can do that in a way that is depersonalized, that is huge, and giving somebody the tools on how to give people the feedbacks and how they can grow. makes your team more loyal, makes them better at their jobs, and is not that expensive an investment for what the company gets out of it.
0: Yeah, we, uh, we use extreme ownership inside of our organization. And I think that's a, a good framework to get to some of these key elements. And one of the key tenants from extreme ownership is like, you've got to really check your relationship with the people on your team, right? Before you give them feedback. If it's, mm-hmm. if you've got a good relationship, you've spent time getting to know them, understand what motivates them, understand do they get what the expectation is? Do they understand the why? And then if it's just a matter of technique, right? Or behavior or even attitude. Mm -hmm. I think attitude is probably the least addressed performance issue of like, you know, leaders are required to have positive attitudes. That's just, I've never heard anybody really say it outside of the military. Something Shelly and I participated is called Project Relo and, you know, helping facilitate changing the story around the perception on hiring lifetime military members into a civilian world is, you know, something they really impress upon at every level of non-commissioned officer officer is like you have to have a positive attitude. Absolutely. Said your team takes
2: on your personality. If you're constantly stressed out or you're you're angry at everybody or negative.
0: You know, yeah just like nothing's gonna work. Well nothing is gonna work.
2: Nitpicking every little thing, then yeah. everybody below you will nitpick every little thing because they're learning yeah. that behavior from you. You have to be very conscious of what you do will be reflected by what your team does. Mm-hmm. You have to very consciously make sure that what you are showing your team is what you want your team to do. Good stuff. Shelly, any
0: last questions?
1: I think it's interesting that you're telling your team now it's OK to fail. You're kind of instilling those behaviors in them, because as you were talking about the size and scale you are now, everyone can see their impact. But eventually that's going to change. And you're going to grow and you're not going to be able to see that. So I think the Mm -hmm. fact that you're instilling it in your leaders now, they're going to take that to the next generation of the workforce. So I think that's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. And hey, if you make the same mistake three times, then that's a different story. That's a different story. But, you know,
1: yeah,
2: anytime you're pushing, you have to balance the need for moving and executing with the you're going to probably make some mistakes and that's okay. We need to give that kind of space. Otherwise, you're just not going to innovate.
0: Well, and to your point, the innovation requires that people are accelerating Mm -hmm. everybody, right? Which means some people are going to be pushed into positions that they're maybe not ready for, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, we can either accelerate the learning and make some mistakes, or we can slow things down by making sure we never, ever make a mistake, which we know isn't true. Slowing it down doesn't remove the mistakes. It just makes it slower rolling mistakes, yeah, you never get rid of them. In fact, yeah. it might actually make it worse because- you... I think it gets worse, but I think I have a bias towards action that yeah. probably gets me in some trouble.
2: Me too, but you may end up just piling up more changes and releasing them all at once, which makes it harder to deal with that mistake.
0: Or just ignore it. I, I think a great book, Getting the Most Out of Everybody by this guy, Aubrey Daniels, talks about uh, positive and negative reinforcement. And the most difficult part is the lack of application of either positive or negative reinforcement, which leads to what he calls the gulf which is when we ignore what we don't want it becomes the operating procedure and then to try and change that behavior later on takes even longer so getting into it as long as we're going to let that either lead to praise or punishment positive and negative reinforcement we will have a a quicker moving team so avoidance it's an awesome book i highly recommend it. it's a massively large book so you know get like <laughs> oh. you know the small version
2: i'll take a look I do say to my like newer managers, you know, I'm like one of the things you should do about every quarter is think about the thing you want to think about the least because that's probably the thing you need to work on.
0: Interesting.
2: Cuz there's probably something you don't want to deal with, maybe it's mm-hmm. a person or maybe it's uh some tech debt that we're going to have to address or something that we just don't want to think about because it's too big.
0: Right. That's the one you need to work on. <laughs> That is some awesome stuff. And if you can do that, like, I try to focus on, like, what's the one thing I have to do this week? Because if I put a right. checklist of 10 things, I knock off the seven easy ones by avoid the three yes. hard ones. Was it a successful week? Probably <laughs> right. not. So it's like embrace embrace the suck and let's go get that hard right. one done, right? The <laughs> exactly. other seven can get, be done next week. Nobody really cares, <laughs> right? So. Arnie thank you so much for joining us today congratulations on all your success we're all pulling for you guys awesome business I see you everywhere I love that the guys are growing and, and expanding that's really fantastic news for us here in Chicago yeah uh, you guys are, are doing amazing things
2: we love the support
0: Patrick Shelley thank you for having me on it's been it's been a lot of fun thank you awesome we also want to thank our listeners we really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us.
1: And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at Dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This episode was sponsored by Dragonspears and produced by Dante32.